Welcome to another episode of Quilt Buzz, the podcast featuring your favorite folks from across the quiltiverse. I'm Amanda of Broadcloth Studio, and I'm joined by Wendy, the weekend quilter. Hey. And our special guest, Ursula of LDH Scissors and Barely Finished. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Before we jump into all our quilty fun today, or all our cutting fun today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Ursula? For sure. So... Hello again, my name is Ursula. Um, I am one of the co-owners along with my husband Roy of LDH Scissors. We both live in Toronto. I'm from Toronto, Canada. I was actually born in New Brunswick, but that's neither here nor there. So we're both in Toronto. He's originally from Shenzhen in China, which is where the company was founded by his mom. And we've both been doing this together since 2018, late 2018, when we both decided to quit our jobs because we didn't like them and really just dive into his family's business. And his mom has been doing this for like 33 years. So it's a little humbling to us to kind of step into her world a little bit, but also doing our own thing along the way. And that's just kind of just what we do almost every single day. Scissors is my life. <laughs> if you don't mind me asking, what did you guys previously uh, do? So I worked at a nonprofit, um, an environmental nonprofit just outside of Toronto. And he was working at Enterprise Running Cars. He was probably a little happier than I was, um, but we both decided we'd prefer maybe to give this a try. We were like early, earlier 20s at the time. So we decided this is now or never pretty much. And we just kind of went for it. So to kick things off, so what does LDH in your business uh, short for? And is there a story behind the business name? So the original business name is what it's based off of. So it's the original name that his mom gave to the company. And the short form is LDH. But when we first started, Roy decided just one moment, his epiphany moment was, what if it stands for love, dedication, and happiness? And it's really the ethos of everything that we do because this is his family's business. There's a lot of love that not only he and I put into it, but also his mom has put into it. It's a lot of dedication from her. And as anyone like you guys, anyone running a small business or doing something creatively, it's a lot of dedication and hopefully it's bringing you happiness. So and it has brought us quite a bit of happiness. So that's what it stands for. And we try to remember that with every level of what we're doing in the business. And you mentioned that your um, your mother-in-law started this 33 years ago. Was it always a scissor company or did it start off in some other form? So the business originally started by his parents selling snips. It wasn't even necessarily about scissors at that time. He's told me that they would manufacture them. They would go around on, it was just like, like a little moped, like a little scooter, and they would actually go around selling it like that, like a trade show just out in the open. And then they were able to grow and expand and start manufacturing scissors and other kinds of snips as well. So it's inspiring now when we go back to visit just what it's grown into. And are your in-laws still based in Shenzhen? Yeah, they are. And it's just his mom. His father passed away, unfortunately, when he was seven. So she's really taken the reins on this business oh. herself. 
Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So when it comes to creating a pair of scissors, could you walk us through that production process and how long does it take to create one pair of scissors? Yeah, absolutely. So it really starts off with die forging two separate parts. So the blade and the handles actually get die forged separately and then they get welded together. They get hammered just to make sure that the connection is okay between the blade and the handle and that's done by hand. And then moving on from there, there's like a lot of little steps that involve people along the way. The next step is removing the burrs because when you do a die press, you're essentially like you have a like a mold in the shape, say, of the blade of a scissor. You have the metal there. The metal is heated so that it can be molded to that shape. And then the press comes down and there's going to be almost like an outline around the mold that you have to get rid of. And just making sure that it's really smooth. That's what the burr removing process does. Make sure that the weld is smooth as well. After burr removal, it's a heat treatment. So it's heating it up. It's maybe it's not quite what you imagine because it's not just necessarily sticking it into a fire and then putting it into some water, which is really kind of like an old school traditional way to do it. It's a machine because, because this process is more dangerous than other steps of the process. It's held by a machine arm and then from the tip, it's heated up all the way through and then dunked into some water. We have actually a video of this on our website and on our YouTube. It's actually, it looks really, really cool. And then from there, we start to smooth everything out, get rid of any impurities that were on the surface of the scissor, even after the burr removal. The next step is polishing the surface so that it looks really good because you won't really be able to do it after the next step, which is sharpening. Because when you get to sharpening, you already want your scissor to be holding firm together. You want it to look nice. You want it to look smooth. So you get to sharpening. That's also done by hand. A lot of these processes are done by hand. And then once you have this one set, you could call it the one half of the scissor because you need the two halves. It's almost like having knives and then you got to put them together. The entire rest of the process of them being put together is done by hand. So there are just artisans that this is what they do. This is what they know. It's They put the two halves together. You put the bolt in. You tighten it with a wrench. And then they have to test to make sure it's cutting at every single stage that they're adjusting. Because if something is not tight enough, if it's too tight, then it's not going to feel smooth. And it's not going to cut at all. What they're also doing at that time is testing the handle and how it feels in the hand. So with our midnight edition scissors and our traditional scissors, for example, the handles are different than our prism shears, for example. The prism shears have what we call a European style handle. And the midnight edition shears and the traditional shears have what we call an East Asian style handle. So if you look at your hand and your thumb on left or right-handed, you have you know the meteor part of your hand. The East Asian style handle really rests and forms right up against that part. So when the scissor handle is being adjusted, it has to fit that curve really naturally and really, really comfortably. So they have to test for the cutting, they have to test for the comfort. And then once everything is done, 
It gets a little clean, a little oiling for shipping, for storage, and then it's done. You have a whole scissor and it's like, whoa, that's crazy. It's like, I've been to the factories and the workers, the artisans, they're just, they're so knowledgeable. They're so fast. It's incredible. And their tools, like their hammers, for example, they have indents of their hands from just holding it all the time and just years and years and years because a lot of them have been with us for 30 years and there's even some new people coming up as well and it's a lot of women doing the job as well and they're just so cool i really really admire them i think i've been taking my scissors for granted (laughs) (laughs) they're really cool honestly and so how long does that whole process take sorry it's hard to say honestly because they happen at different stages but it might probably take a week around a week or so Oh, wow. And when you're doing the testing process, are you testing it on different types of materials and thicknesses of materials? So we're generally testing it on like a medium weight fabric, because if it can cut the medium weight, it's pretty much guaranteed to cut everything else as well. And how would you say, or what do you think is a key characteristic that differentiates LDH from other scissor companies? That's a good question because there are so many really, really good scissors out there. So many nice tools. And the manufacturing process like this, which can be classified as handcrafted, it's pretty much the same process you'd find anywhere else in the world. It's very specific. It's pretty traditional at this point. So what we do to kind of stand out is present our products more accessibly We try to give as much information about them as possible. We try to price them so that if someone wants a really good quality scissor, they're able to hopefully afford that a little bit easier than other scissors on the market. But other scissors on the market are also really, really good. (laughs) So we always find that tools like this are so personal that if you can try them in person, that's when you can really feel the difference. So when we used to do a lot of trade shows, We'd be able to talk to people about, this is what you should be looking for. How does it feel in your hand? Because not every scissor is necessarily for every single person. So we just try to give as much information as we can, as much knowledge as we can, showing people how to take care of their things and try to stand out that way. In addition to your um, accessible pricing, we also know that 5% of your sales are donated to women's shelters. Um, Can you kind of walk us through what inspired this decision and which organizations you're donating to? Absolutely. We decided to go and donate 5% specifically to Women's Shelters Canada. So they're a really, really great organization here in Canada that they support research policy really around their core belief of trying to end gender-based violence. It's inclusive. And they've put together a website called sheltersafe.ca. And this is specifically what we donate to. And it connects all the shelters in Canada, in the provinces and the territories together. So if someone, if a woman and her children, for example, are fleeing violence in their home, they can go on the website. It's a clickable map and they can find the closest shelter that can help them. So it's important to us, not only because we were both raised by single moms, but we've seen, especially 
from the pandemic. And this is when we started doing the donation that it's just been harder and harder for people to be alone or to be in that situation and have nowhere to go. So it's important to us that we can at least support a way for someone to escape a not good situation. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that uh, you and your husband run um, LDH together. You know, what's it like working with your other half? And have you discovered anything uh, <laughs> that you didn't know about each other prior to working together? Ah, such a good question. It's uh, it's interesting now to look back on these past couple years. I'm not sure we've discovered anything new, but it's almost like we've learned more intensely about the things that we already knew. So for example, Roy is the most consistent and determined person I have ever met. If he wants to do something, he is doing it and it is getting done. Where if I think back to like in university, for example, I'm really, I'm going to collect all this information. I'm going to do it in one shot. It's getting done in one shot and that's it. And it's a little bit harder for me to want to start some things. So I take a lot of inspiration from him when it comes to work and like work ethos and stuff. And it's definitely, it's a bumpy road sometimes working with your significant other, but I wouldn't change it for anything. And how do you divide the roles of the company between the two of you? He does a lot of the backend stuff, taking care of the website. He's discovered he really likes coding. We work a lot through Shopify, so he's really enjoyed kind of learning that system. We both do the shipping, the packing, all of that together. And then I take care of a lot of the uh, front end stuff. So marketing, we'll come up with content together, but... I'll mostly be the one recording it or taking pictures or coming up with captions, etc. But every other little thing, and I guess actually you could say pretty much everything at the end of the day, we both do together. We have to agree. Or if one person has a stronger feeling about something, then they can take the lead on it. But it's really a team. We have to be working with each other on everything. And based on your experience uh, so far, do you have any advice for couples that are thinking of working together? <laughs> I'll share the advice that I was given actually before we started this. So when I was working at the nonprofit, it was like a co-working space. And there was another couple who had a, um, a marketing company together. Um, and I asked them, okay, how do you do this? Because we're just starting to do this. I would really like some advice because I'm a little nervous that things are going to get blurry. And they said, yeah, actually, that's the biggest piece of advice we can give you is you have to try and separate your work relationship from your at-home romantic relationship. They're like two different beasts, pretty much, and you have to nurture them in different ways, but you also need time away from them because we also work at home. So, I mean, we're essentially together like 24-7. So, I mean, that happened even before the pandemic hit and lockdowns were here in Toronto. So at that point we were kind of used to it, but you have to have those boundaries and there has to be a lot of communication there. If you're not feeling okay with something, you have to speak up and it does create a better relationship along the way. So definitely do that. Anybody out there. So you mentioned that you guys collaborate on a number of different aspects of the business. Does that 
um, include like coming up with new product ideas or gathering inspiration for them? Yeah, absolutely. So we run a bunch of ideas back and forth with each other. And especially when it comes to product ideas, he hasn't really ever done too much in the crafting world, even just like oh, making a little doll or something or DIYing something, though he loves doing like house DIY. So he does have the skills there and like the interest. So when it comes to like, oh, do we think this product is good or this product is good? He does refer to me a little bit more because I have more of the background. But with product design, we found that in 2019, when we were doing a lot of shows, just talking to people in the community was really the best thing that we could do. We could talk to people who would come to our booths. What were they looking for? Oh, are you interested in this? Oh, what do you think about this? So that was actually the most important thing. And then even since then, that's really what it's come down to is thinking back on the people that we've talked to and then bouncing ideas off of each other. And how often do you guys launch a new product or maybe a new color of a specific product? So we aim to launch one to two new products a year. So earlier in the spring, we launched our midnight edition pruning shears, which is really our, our first like heavy duty looking and feeling garden shear. And we have a couple secret things maybe coming up later. Mm. <laughs> is this a <laughs> Oh, you know it. So I don't know. Oh. Keep your eye out. Uh, join our newsletter. <laughs> And follow LDHs on Instagram. <laughs> that's right. And that's with an underscore between the LDH and the scissors. <laughs> Intent. <laughs> so like one, one thing in the spring, summer, and then something for the holiday time is generally what we aim for. Because manufacturing does take quite a bit of time. And it surprised me even when we first started doing this, how long it could actually take. So going from a sample to, oh, maybe we need to tweak it a little bit. Maybe you need another sample. Okay, this is fine. Oh, it's going to take this long. It's going to take a couple months. Oh, and then it has to be shipped to you. And so in that whole time, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I got to wait and I have to figure this out. And so that's why you have to start, for example, like your Christmas planning now in like late spring, early summer, or else that's it. Like you're kind of done for. So the, the pruning share, for example, we had been working on that for months before we launched it in early spring. So we were super excited. We gave some to our neighbors to test out. It was good. <laughs> so just keeping all of that in mind, it can't be, we wish it could be more things and we'd love to actually maybe explore collaborating with makers in the future just to have a couple more interesting things coming out through the year. Now, in your talking to lots of different people about their scissor use and their rotary cutter use, what would be your, like, what would you say are the top mistakes people make when it comes to the care of their sharp objects? <laughs> I don't know how okay, else number to say one. it. Like, what's the, what's the bucket for, I guess, <laughs> No, that's great. That's great. I love it. Sharp Pass objects. the scissors with the handle. <laughs> well, I'm thinking, like, rotary cutters, snips, like, they, they're all just, they're all sharp objects. No, it's true. Cutting yeah. instruments. Cutting I don't know if that's better. Yeah, I don't know what's worse. We'll, we'll do a poll. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Number one thing. Now, if you follow us on any of our social media channels, you will know that we come back to this a lot. Y'all need to oil your scissors. Okay. I'm not joking. (laughs) It's actually so good for your scissors, for your snips. You don't have to oil the blade in your rotary cutter, but even cleaning them after you're done really makes a difference in terms of the longevity of the metal, especially if you are storing them away for a while. Some of the metals, like the carbon steel that we use for our midnight shears, our traditional shears, and the blades for our rotary cutters are not naturally rust resistant like a stainless steel is, which we use for um, our snips, for example, and our prism shears. So taking care of them, especially in a high moisture environment, Toronto gets so humid in the summer. So it's really important if you're storing them away, you have to keep them oiled. And they just make them feel so much better. If you've been cutting up a bunch of stuff and you're feeling like, uh, like this is kind of gunky and it looks kind of gunky with fiber bits on it, give it a quick clean. Give some oil to it. Give it to the button. It'll feel so much better, I promise you. And we actually have a blog post about this. We have a lot of social media posts about this as well as a guide. So we're really, really big on the oiling over here. And I 100% recommend it to everybody. <laughs> and for our listeners that are lazy to go check it out the the content I'm sorry (laughs) but what sort of oil should they be using and like how like how much should we be putting on because I the first question the first thing that pops in my mind when you say oiling your shears or your scissors I think of what if the oil gets onto my fabric right okay so I would recommend take a little bowl You can even do it in a baggie if you prefer to do it that way. Get some scrap fabric, not paper towel because the fabric is actually going to keep better. It can be, if it's a larger piece, you add a little bit more oil. The piece just has to be saturated. If you keep it in the baggie later, then, I mean, it's not going to evaporate. You're going to be able to use it multiple times. So just like a light coating, if too much gets on, don't worry about it because before you use them again, you want to wipe everything off. You don't want a, any any little bit of oil in there because it will ruin your, your fabric, you know? So keep it in a bag, oil it when you can. It doesn't have to stay on there for too long. Really the more important thing is to get the blades clean and to get the button, which is what holds the two blades together, give that some oil because that's sort of the heart of your scissor. It's, what keeping, it's what's keeping it um, cutting pretty much and you can do the same with your snips if they're feeling a little sticky and you can also I mean you can do that with anything and you can use your sewing machine oil I've used olive oil it's not gonna hurt it it might kind of smell oily and like olives or something but like you just wipe it off it's okay get a snack later if you're hungry and you're good to go (laughs) and we're sharpening the shears this might sound really dumb but (laughs) Can you sharpen it with, um, cause like with like a knife sharpener or no? Uh, actually I haven't really thought about that. I'm going to be honest with a knife sharpener. I'm going to say probably not. And the reason is (laughs) just thinking that over real quick, I'm going to say no. The reason being that the blade on scissors is not the same angle as on a knife. On scissors, you need a specific cutting angle so that you can cut the fabric 
or whatever. And it has to be the same on both. Otherwise it's not going to work. So you have to figure out what the angle is, which is why it's better usually just to give it to a professional to do it. Or you can send it back to us as well if it's our brand. We don't do other brands, unfortunately, because every single one is so different and we don't want to ruin your scissors by accident. So, uh, yeah, no, maybe don't do that. But I can say if you are at home and you are super desperate, if you have some sandpaper, that's the better option for a really, really, really quick little sharpen. The aluminum foil is not going to do it. And the reason being is because it's not abrasive. The sandpaper will cut into the metal because essentially all that sharpening is, is you're taking off a very, very thin layer of that metal. So if you're in a, in a tight pinch, get some sandpaper. That's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. <laughs> now, you've got an ongoing Instagram post series called Will It Cut? Um, what is the strangest material that you've cut to date? be honest, nothing too out of the ordinary yet, but every single week that goes by, I am more and more tempted to cut a pizza with a rotary cutter. It keeps coming up and I'm like, I'm so close. The peanut gallery keeps asking. I mean, maybe I'm the one bringing it up, but you know, (laughs) it's going to get there. I actually don't own a pizza cutter, so it might make the transition and I'm going to have to let everyone know how it goes. So. I really want to see this. <laughs> <laughs> and um, can people send requests uh, for the Will It Cut series? Yeah, totally. Send us a DM, comment on one of our posts. I would love to see what people want and then make some sort of term- like determination about that because mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to ruin this. I don't want to ruin the scissor and maybe encourage some bad behavior here. But I would also be interested to see what people are thinking about like i did think about oh what if i take the three and a half inch imperial and like cut up a sunflower seed uh, like i'm sure it would work but I'm not, i don't know if i'm gonna Maybe do you it put, you should put like a disclaimer don't try this at home <laughs> yeah that's true i should do that good idea it's the pizza next you guys okay okay yes okay well wait well, yeah <laughs> I mean, you have your your kitchen shears to cut pizza, so why can't a rotary cutter do it? Right? 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 I mean, come on. That's logic. That's just logic. (laughs) (laughs) I can do like pizza bun, pizza bagel, (laughs) calzone, pizza anything. (laughs) Anything that's round. I mean, (gasps) yes. (laughs) Pizza party. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> All right, that's next. Yeah, put it on the list. <laughs> so you're also, we've been talking obviously a lot about scissors today, but you're also about to launch a personal um, Instagram and blog account called Barely Finished. Can you tell us more about this new project? Absolutely. So even the project itself is barely finished because really that's just life. <laughs> so it's, the intention is really to, have a space where I can be creative, but not necessarily be under the business pressure of being creative. There's always that, you know, don't turn your hobbies into a job. It's almost like that, even though I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily agree with that. It's just a space where I can feel creative again without needing it to be work creative, if that makes sense. So I've always 
done sewing in one way or another. Not good, but it's been really fulfilling. And it'd be nice to sort of have that kind of community outside of work. Because that's really what it comes down to. Everyone that we've met has been so lovely that I'd also love to get them. I'd love to get to know them personally as well. And I hope that the personal Instagram, hopefully transitioning into a blog as well, can create that sort of foundation where it can just be separate, if that makes sense. So on that note, it is time to move on to our rapid fire quilty questions. Are you ready, Ursula? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. Wendy, why don't you take us away? Okay. Um, So what is your favorite time of day to sew? Like midday between like one and two. And where do you sew? I sew in our guest bedroom. And do you wear shoes while sewing? No, barefoot. And music, Netflix, podcasts, or the sounds of silence while sewing? Uh, I can't be alone with my thoughts, so we're going to go music and audiobooks. Lovely honesty. And And do you have a current favorite? I'm just about to start um, Jane Austen, what a Jane Austen book. Do you have a favorite traditional quilt block? I really like the flying geese, as well as any sort of patchwork, because I really like triangles. Any kind of triangle or like... (laughs) Oh, any triangle. Triangles are a nice shape. They are. (laughs) (laughs) What's the best-selling tool in the LDH uh, online store? That would be the Midnight Edition Thread Snips and then a 9-inch Midnight Edition Shear. What is your favorite LDH tool? One-piece Thread Snip. Okay, pick one. Imperial, Midnight, or Prison Snips? I'd say Midnight because it matches my machine, but Imperial, like black and gold, that's really nice too. If I had a sky's limit budget, what LDH tool would you recommend to gift? Any of the gift sets. It's a pretty, that's an easy one. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, it covers all your needs, basically. (laughs) All your cutting instrumental needs. (laughs) That's right. Sharp objects definitely included. (laughs) (laughs) and what's your favorite quilt store that's tough we actually work with a lot of quilt stores and they're all great and i love them all do you have any other interests or hobbies i like to do knitting um take pictures of my cats i play video games read listen to stuff bug roy yeah bug roy (laughs) (laughs) those would be them (laughs) now we've just got one more question for you so who are three accounts you think everyone should be following and why so number one we have heike handmade that's h-e-i-k-e handmade all one word this is the account of the two people who really first believed in us They retired from their jobs. Uh, They worked selling leather and now they make leather goods. They've met Roy's mom. They're just, they're so nice. Christine and Ted, we've even done, we had um, some videos that we filmed. It was like a little series that's on our YouTube. Christine was one of the people that we interviewed about her past, um, her history just with sewing and crafting and stuff. They're, They're just amazing. They make really good quality products and they're basically... They're like family. Second would be natural habitat shorts. Really, really funny short form animation about animal facts. 
Look it up right now. You can pause this podcast and look it up right now. It's so funny. <laughs> Are you sure? Because I'm probably going to end up scrolling for like 40 minutes. Because that's what I did last time. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Don't pause. Just wait till the end. Natural Habitat shorts. Number three, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not following Quilt Buzz on socials, you should be. Okay? Aww, That's number shucks. three. I love you guys. This is so fun. This has been such a blast. Sharp objects and all. Oh, yes. <laughs> so on that note, we need to wrap today up and we hope that you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to contact any of us, we can most easily be found on our Instagram accounts. I'm at Broadcloth Studio, Wendy. I'm at the.weekendquilter. And Ursula. I'm at LDH underscore scissors and also barely dot finished. Or you can go to our podcast account at quilt.buzz or our website quiltbuzzpodcast.com for our previous episodes and updates on upcoming guests. If you enjoyed today's show, we hope that you subscribe to the podcast and tell your quilty friends about us too. And if you have a moment to share what you love by writing a review on your podcast provider of choice, it would make our day. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. 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 Wendy, that wasn't a bye. That was just a... <laughs> I thought it'd go like when you were like reaction. No, no one's excited. <laughs> Everybody go eat.